The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, shared value in education. What do we mean by that? I will tell you. What if your company could deliver great shareholder returns while at the same time helping to solve the global education crisis? And a third part of that is better prepare the workforce for the jobs you need to fill. I have good news for you. You can do all three. Tell you why. A growing number of smart companies are using what we call core business strategies and their operations to create the power to solve education solutions. How much are they doing it? Way beyond what their own individual limited giving budgets would allow. A couple of quotes here from a recent article I read in Slate Magazine entitled, The World is 70 Years Behind Schedule on Education. Think about this. Around the world, 200 million people are unemployed, while nearly 60% of CEOs report, listen for this, a skilled labor shortage is holding back their company's growth. Skilled labor shortage is a key here. Another statistic, 250 million primary school students worldwide cannot even read or write. And one more quote before we get to our panel. The second millennium development goal approved by United States, United Nations member states in 2000 pledged that all children in the world would have access to primary education by 2015. However, reality check, a recent report by UNESCO said that was wildly optimistic. OMG. I've got a great panel for you. We're going to talk about this. First up, putting in the hot seat here, is Kate Talent. She's a director at FSG, which is a nonprofit consulting firm and think tank specializing in strategy, evaluation, and research. Kate sent me this quote. By aligning profit with purpose, companies can become essential partners for schools, nonprofits, and governments in overcoming the global Global education crisis. Kate Talent, we've been planning the show for a long time. Delighted to welcome you. How are you today? Thanks. I'm great, Bonnie. Wonderful. Talk to me about your quote. I love the part about aligning profit with purpose. Sounds like something every company should do, but let's apply it to global education. Talk to me, Kate. Yeah, well, um, you know, building on what you said, it's, it's fascinating. The timing actually right now is that this year, the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy actually named education as the top issue that companies give to with their philanthropic dollars. But as you mentioned, there's hundreds of millions of kids around the world that um, don't have the skills that they need, and kids aren't getting jobs when they do leave school. And this applies to you know, countries in both the developed and in the developing world. So the status quo really hasn't worked. 
Um, and it hasn't worked at the scale that we need it to. So although companies have done a good job of creating impact kind of in pockets, in places, mm-hmm. um, they haven't really come together in the way that we need them to. And we're starting to see this change. And the way that it's changing is that companies are now, and, and uh, you know, Amanda and Brittany will talk a bit about how this is happening at SAP and at Pearson, because they're really mm-hmm. on the cutting edge of doing this, um, leveraging the power of their business, operating as business to create solutions that address educational problems. Okay. So for example, go yeah. ahead. Please give me examples because we love case studies. Go ahead, Kate. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, kind of at a high level, companies are, are very unique from governments and nonprofits. They have scale, human capital, financial resources, and political influence that governments and nonprofits just don't have. Um, so they're using those tools to do new things. So, for example, with, um, with Pearson, they create products and services for the education market. What's really fascinating about what Pearson does is that they're turning the field on its head by looking at not only the financial um, return on those products and services, which has been sort of the more traditional way that companies engage in education, mm-hmm. but instead have looked also at um, the educational outcomes so that they can see that this stuff is really working, build on those solutions and scale them up. Thank you very much, Kate Talent. Great to have you on board. Let's turn to the second person on our panel. Amanda Gardner is Director of Partnerships at Pearson. She sent me a very interesting quote from Christine Bader's blog in The Guardian, and I need to ask her what what this all means. And the quote is, companies should not be managing their reputations. They should be managing their impacts. Those are fighting words. Amanda Gardner, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you. So talk to me. Who is Christine Bader? Forgive me, but you need to educate me. Christine Bader, the guardian I know, and this is just really interesting, not managing their reputations, but managing their impacts. Why don't you pull that out and uh, explain it for us, please? Well, first of all, I should say Christine and I are old friends. We worked together um, We worked together about 10 years ago on the business and human rights agenda, and she went on to really support John Ruggie's work in developing um, guidelines for business around engagement on human rights issues. So she still blogs in the community, and, and this is where I got this quote. Um, you know, I think in line with what, with what both of you have already said, you know, the perception of the role of the, of the business of the private sector and improving social impact and development has really shifted over the last decade or so. So we're not really... Con- seen only as a problem anymore, but as part of a solution. And at the same time, the business case for why companies should be part of the solution has gotten stronger and is more widely understood. Um, and yet, in many companies, those, the thing, how we impact on social impact is still managed in terms of a reputational issue, and it's really a very narrow lens to look at things. The real opportunity is when you look beyond reputation and you start to think about what is a company's impact on mm-hmm. broader socioeconomic conditions. And when you do that, you start to open up as a company a broader range of opportunities in terms of fueling product and service innovation. So once you can better understand the needs and gaps of a community, a society, a country, you can really think about how you can innovate to, um, to meet some of those needs. You start to build a stronger operating environment for doing business by engaging policymakers in discussions about um, what's the right mix of rules, incentives, and services for maximizing the business contribution? 
So, and, and as a product of that, yes, you can help build reputation. But by taking a broader lens and really looking at the social impact of the company, you have much more opportunity in terms of this one. Thank you, Amanda. Another good set of points for us to build this show on. And rounding out our panel is a lady who's the core of this topic. We received this topic from Brittany Lothi at SAP a few months ago, and she said, let's talk about shared value in education. Brittany is now Chief of Staff for Global Corporate Affairs at SAP. Big job for a smart lady. And she sent me the following quote, which I adore. We have to paint this on the side of a building somewhere, Brittany. Plan like a pessimist. Think like a realist. Act like an optimist, and above all, love what you do. Well, that's why we're here. Brittany Lothi, at long last, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? Thank you. We have been trying to do this, Bonnie, for a very long time, and I'm <laughs> so happy that we have we have finally found the date and time that, that can work for this team. So it's fantastic Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. So um, tell me about this quote. I tried to look it up and see if bits and pieces came from other famous people besides you, because you're famous with me now, and I, I just couldn't find this as an entirety. So is this one of your personal mantras, Brittany? This is definitely a personal mantra, and I think you can hear today from the energy from from Kate and Amanda. We all have such passion for what we're doing. You know, we wouldn't be in this in in, in the roles that we are and in the sector that we are, we're focused on if we didn't have passion. But we're realistic, of course, on the challenges that are in front of us from an educational perspective. And, and you you stated it, Bonnie. I mean, there's some dire. There's a dire situation out there. But if we can work together, we can, you know, bridge lines across sector and across corporations and, and work with governments, work with educational institutions. We can find such, you know, the pathways to help change the game here and, you know, really create opportunities both from an educational perspective but also from an employment perspective for young people. And, you know, that's just really exciting here. And I think we all dedicate so much time to everything we do. We better love, you know, our jobs and the work that we're, that we're um, you know, in. Exactly. Very well stated. And, uh, Brittany, one part I want to pull apart from your quote here, plan like a pessimist. What do you mean? You know, my, my former life prior to SAP, I was in, I was in politics. And, you know, you always have to look at, you know, the worst case scenario and plan from there. And, and I would say that that's really how I've always executed, you know, our plans, our business strategy plans here, you know, SAP and, and when I was running campaigns to really look at the worst case scenario and build from it. So, you know, in the situation, you know, in, in the case of education, when we're going in and we're, we're creating public-private partnerships with with schools and, and young people, you know, we do look to say what is the situation right now that we need to address and we need to look at um, and how can we work toward that. And, you know, working toward that in, in a collaborative way will help us to overcome any challenge that can be, be faced prior to, you know, really, really experiencing it. I would rather be in a situation where we know exact, you know, the, the worst case scenario and build from that versus, you know, having any sort of surprises. Great. Thank you, Brittany. And I have a very tough question for my three wonderful panelists. I know you've been thinking about this, lady, since we planned this show, but I had, now's the time. Put the pedal to the metal. What is in your cup? Because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Kate Talon, if you have something boring and uh and ah uh, and blah in your cup, tell me a story. What do you wish you were drinking? Kate Talon at FSG, go. Well, I'm actually calling in today from Seattle, which is where I grew up, and uh, and yet I have actually never liked coffee. So I am drinking some tea this morning, like I do every morning. And what kind of tea? Come on, we need the details. Give us a little it's, more color here. <laughs> it's Earl Grey tea, and there's a little bit of lemon in it. 
Oh, I love Earl Grey tea. I can, I can smell that. I can imagine the fragrance. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> Amanda Gardner at Pearson, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today, Amanda? I am calling from a corner in a room that's dark at the World Bank. That's where I'm calling from. What's in my cup? I've, I'm, I've unfortunately left my cup in the other room. However, I've been thinking about this because I'm pretty boring when it comes to drinks. I'm a water and a coffee kind of person. But I went in November to Ethiopia for the first time, and I took a culinary tour one day. And I had this amazing opportunity to try... Um, a mix of juices, mango juice, passion juice, but in, in Ethiopia they layer, and the middle layer is avocado juice. So I'm wishing Ooh. right now that I was drinking this juice because avocado juice is amazing. That's beautiful. I can't even imagine squeezing juice out of avocado because I make guacamole out of them, and I love to have them with a little piece of cheese. And, oh, my goodness, i got to look into that. Thank you, Amanda. We'll have to search that recipe and see if Malcolm could tweet about that. And, Brittany, and I hope you're not in a dark corner for the whole show. Brittany Lothi, what are you drinking today? Well, Kate and I tend to do the same thing often, and um, I am also drinking Earl Grey. I have a little bit of a sore throat today, but I, I always, I'm a tea drinker as well, and you know, if I think through that best cup of tea I've ever had, I, I've got to say it was in Morocco. And if you've seen a tea presentation, a, a Moroccan tea presentation, it's pretty incredible. It's very, it's a, it's a, you know, very dramatic spectacle, if you will. And they pour this tea, and you wonder how they're balancing the way that they do. And you know, even though I'm sitting here in a very uh, rainy Palo Alto today, that's the tea that I'm, I'm wishing was in my cup. Thank you. And, ladies, I have to tell you that my co-producer at SAP, Malcolm Kimberlin, back in action after some surgeries and recovery, he says he's drinking his cup of love by Phil's <laughs> Coffee. It's to sorrow, black as the night and thick as mud. Malcolm is now a poet. And I'm drinking water, filtered water, because that's all they let me have on show days as I watch the snow coming down in big flakes again here in New York. End of story. Ladies, we're going to take a break and let you take a sip of whatever you're drinking. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Our topic today is businesses' new role in education, creating shared value. That means there's something for everyone, a piece of this pie. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram 
at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking to Kate Talent at FSG. We're talking to Amanda Gardner at Pearson. I have to ask each of you a little more about your companies. And, of course, Brittany Lothi at SAP. Our topic today is shared value in education, businesses, new role in education. That's the important part. Kate, let's kick off the roundtable. And, ladies, I want you to put your seatbelts on. I hear a lot of noise in the background, by the way. Kate, uh, we're going to be going for 30 minutes straight. This is a marathon roundtable, and I know you're ready. So, Kate Talent, you told me before the show, very interesting historical look back. You said, historically, companies have relied on governments to educate their future employees, but this model has fallen short for both the companies and society in general. Kate Talent, first tell me a little more about FSG, and then let's dive into this topic, please. Great, yeah. Well, FSG, um, we are a nonprofit consulting company. Uh, we've been working with corporations, governments, nonprofits for 14 years now, um, really on a variety of issues across education, global development, global health, and others. Um, but one of the areas that we've increasingly worked on is this topic of shared value. And what we mean when we say shared value is um, the idea that companies can create value for both their business and for society. And if they think about doing, um, engaging with society in this way, that they can really leverage their resources um, in a more powerful way than they have before to create new solutions to, um, to business problems, to social problems. Okay. Now, how has the disconnect happened historically when companies, you say, they've relied on governments? I assume you're talking about public education. Recently, I know charter schools are popping up for good, bad, or ugly in different parts mm-hmm. of the United States. I don't know if that's around the world. And uh, mm-hmm. you say the model has fallen short. How do we measure this fallen short, and, and how does that impact companies today, Kate? Yeah, well, going back to your point in the beginning, you know, there has been a real focus on increasing access to education for kids around the world. Mm-hmm. And and there's been a lot of progress made. But even though more kids are going to school, um, the learning outcomes really haven't um, been very successful yet. So there's still huge challenges in quality of education. And, uh, you know, I think there's there's also been a disconnect between education and employment. So when students are graduating, they don't have the skills that they need for jobs. And, you know, governments and and schools traditionally uh, can only do so much to prepare students for the workforce without Mm -hmm. directly involving companies. So the idea is um, by, you know, more closely integrating companies into figuring out what curriculum should be, what skills those students need specifically for the jobs that are out there. Um, giving them internships and kind of just a range of different ways to engage them in kind of real-world experience, real-life experience in these jobs, um, that they'll be better prepared, uh, not only for, you know, their first job out of school, but also for a longer career. Very important points. Amanda Gardner at Pearson, I want to bring you in. First of all, before you answer my question, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about Pearson. But you told me before the show, right along in, as a great segue from what Kate just said, that the international community's perception of the private sector's role in education is shifting. This is good news if it's shifting in the right direction. So Amanda Gardner, a little bit about Pearson, and then let's talk in addition to what Kate said. Let's go in the direction of your comment, please. Sure. 
Well, first of all, TSN, we're the largest um, learning company in the world in terms of revenue. We own the Financial Times. We own The Economist. Um, many people would know us around the world as a textbook publishing company, but we're really changing on that front into an education company. We provide a whole range of products and services into the education market across all ages and stages from early childhood right up through um, primary, secondary education into college and for um, lifelong learners. So um, it's, we're an interesting company, and we're operating um, in a changing environment. Um, most of our business has historically come from the United States and the United Kingdom, but we're focusing now on building that out into emerging markets, and that's a huge shift. Um, new markets, new challenges, and you can't just take models from the U.S. and the U.K. and adapt them or um, paste them into different social contexts, so that's a big shift. Also, our you know, competitive picture is changing, really. We um, you know, used to compete with other publishing companies, and now we're competing with companies who are selling into the education market. Big companies like Google, uh, Microsoft, Intel, tech companies. Um, but also, at the other end of that, is small startups um, who are really kind of changing education by um, innovating new models for um, looking at data, how we capture data in education, et cetera. Um, so that's a little snapshot of Pearson. Um, and I just wanted to touch on what Kate was saying. I mean, I think yes. the role of um, the, the social drivers in this shift in terms of business's role and all of this um, are, are really compelling. I mean, you mentioned already that, um, you know, there are 250 kids in, in school around the world who can't read and write. There are 57 million children out of school. Those and there are an additional 250 million children who are, um, who are sitting in classrooms but really not learning much of anything at all. Mm-hmm. And the MDGs have focused on getting bums and seats, on access. Um, but really the focus now is shifting to learning. How can we really figure out how to get these kids learning once they're in the classroom and learning the right skills? And as Kate mentioned, I mean, we, we're having a real problem with kids learning things that aren't necessarily translating to the outside world, translating into life skills, translating into jobs. So there's a really big um, social emphasis. Thank you very much, Amanda. And Brittany Lothi sitting there in the background. We need to get you involved in this. And Brittany, why don't you talk about the points both of the other panelists have brought up about the shift in the private sector's role, which is really our topic, business's new role in education and the disconnect between letting the government educate your kids and companies getting involved. Brittany? Absolutely. I think any time that we have a, a strong common agenda, and, and a focus, and whether it is private sector, public sector, government, um, education, um, educators, young people, parents, they all need to be part of this conversation in order to create the change that's necessary. Now, I, I look at this from a corporate perspective, and when we, we you know, when we've looked at across the SAP landscape to say where are our greatest needs, what we were finding, and just to give an example, um, in Brazil, for example, we found that there was a significant shortage of consultants, um, you know, and there was high unemployment and there was a skills gap. 
So, you know, working with our user groups, with our partner companies and our ecosystem, we created an initiative where, you know, young people are being certified in SAP. Not only is it helping them to gain the skills that they need, but it's also helping from, uh, you know, a, a real skills gap that we had, you know, from a corporate perspective. If you think through how you grow companies, you know, like an SAP where, you know, we're based, of course, on implementing um, world-class software for companies and, and institutions, we need skills, skilled labor to do that. So not only did we look to see there a social problem, that there was unemployment in a country like Brazil, we also looked at our business need. And our business need was specifically ensuring we had young people and consultants who were certified and trained in SAP implementation. So if we can you know, look not only as a company but also as, as a sector from a corporate sector, um, you know, there's, there's ways to look at these, these significant challenges um, in society and also look at where the business, where the business value is. Um, Kate's spot on. Um, you know, when we look at this from an SAP perspective, of course, you know, certification is key. But access to real-world experiences is so important for young people, whether that's an internship, access to executives, um, you know, really having, you know, unique life experiences that young people may not have. Um, so those are some of the key, you know, the key components that we see when we build, you know, programs here at a cor- from a corporate perspective. Thank you very much. And I want to talk about something that I said in the beginning of the show about companies can get involved today in the shared value of education, and I, I believe in understanding the design of that education so that everybody benefits: the culture, the society, the country, the neighborhood, the community, and corporate entities or any size business that need that labor to be trained for for what's happening, what they need. So I want to go back to something Kate told me um, about beyond what your corporate giving budget is. You Mm -hmm. can do something. That's what the point of this is. But, Kate, you told me before the show another interesting comment. You say, we lack good frameworks for understanding Mm -hmm. the optimal role the private sector can play in this changing landscape of education. So I'm going to pose to you, and then I'd like Amanda and Brittany to come in on this exact same topic, please. Where do these frameworks come from? Who is tasked with designing them? Who communicates them? Do they come from CEOs? Do they come from think tank people like the three of you? Do they come from uh, teachers? Do they come from grade schools in the third world countries that say, hey, guys, Mm -hmm. help us out here. We're trying to do our best, but these kids will never be ready to do anything. So, Kate, let's start this part of the discussion with where do these frameworks come from? Who's responsible? Who's going to do the best job? Talk to me. Yeah, well, you know, we're all responsible. I think those frameworks can come from anywhere. They certainly have come from, um, from, you know, both nonprofits, schools, and companies. I think, you know, we, we of course, would like to think that the the framework that that we call shared value is a good solution. Um, It's not the only solution. And I think, you know, it's clear that any one idea or any one framework cannot solve all of these problems. Um, but kind of together they can help to build out a set of solutions and a set of ideas for starting to tackle these issues. So, um, yeah, the thinking behind that around good frameworks is really, you know, that this idea of, uh, of shared value is a new framework that should be applied more broadly. And while we're seeing companies start to do that, we'd like to see more. Okay. Amanda Gardner, what do you think about these frameworks? you agree with Kate? Can you expand from Pearson's point of view? Sure. I mean, I do agree that we all are responsible for creating these frameworks. I think that there's, they've come from a lot of different places. I think they've come from 
um, you know, there's been a push by civil society for business to demonstrate that they're achieving the impacts that they should be achieving, that they're making a difference in society. There's been um, push from organizations like the UN Global Compact, which is one of the largest um, networks of companies working on social issues, um, to try to define what these frameworks um, should look like. So um, there are external drivers that are pushing companies in the direction of this, but it's still really much a lot up to companies to find the right frameworks for their business. And I think this is where leadership has a really important part to play. Um, CEO leadership, leadership um, down the chain of the company. Um, in terms of thinking through these issues and thinking about how companies contribute to having um, social impact in education and poverty and health, et cetera, um, by leveraging their core skills, um, it's, it is Check writing has a has a place. Um, philanthropy mm-hmm. has a place, but companies can also go beyond that. And I think that um, more and more, the leadership in a company needs to start convincing shareholders of the value in that. Okay, Brittany Lothi, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's some wonderful conveners in this topic, but I I tend to see many corporations still going at it alone. And, you know, there are, I would say, you know, there a handful who are, are looking at this collectively. They're taking their, you know, the brand aside and saying, look, this is more about our individual company. And, and, and it's, it's broader. It's about ensuring, again, in the, in the space of education, that young people have the skills we have, you know, as collectively, corporations have the workforce that they need um, to grow and succeed. And, you know, just to use an example, I, I think of yes. one um, case where this is, this is working and it's an interesting experiment is in New York City. Um, you know, estimates right now from the Department of Education in New York are, are saying about 30% of young people um, are not college ready when they graduate high school. So if you think through, if you think about this as almost a um, conveyor belt, right, young people are moving from elementary school, on to middle school, on to high school, on to college. Now, if you have one little sprocket that may not be tightened as, as tight as it needs to be, you're going to continue down that conveyor belt. And you're going to, you know, enter high school, enter college, go into, you know, obtain associate's degree, go into the workforce. Um, and you may still have that little sprocket that's a little bit loose. We need to be able to tighten those sprockets. And, you know, one initiative that is, you know, really gaining traction, and you may have seen it in Time Magazine this last week, is the Career and Technical Education High Schools. They have, um, it's a six-year program, Mm -hmm. so not only are you graduating from high school, you're also getting a two-year associate's degree. IBM um, is really the the leader in this space with the P-TECH program, the P-TECH school that was was initially introduced about a year ago, and now Microsoft, um, the American Association for Advertising. SAP, a number of companies are coming together in a collaborative, collective way to look at these schools and start to develop, again, pathway schools that can help ensure that young people have the skills that they need in high school, get their associate's degree, have these real-world experiences, internships, mentoring, et cetera. Again, in the case of a technology company, maybe that is a certification or a, uh, you know, a type of um, training program to ensure that the curriculum is set collaboratively with um, the private sector and implemented you know, in, in, by, by the public school system. It's an interesting model. Um, there's going to be about five schools right now in, in New York that are piloting this, and you're going to see, you know, we're starting to see this trend um, 
you know, develop in other markets, Chicago, Vancouver, Canada, um, just, just to name a couple. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, collectively the corporate sector um, can really change the game in education and, and, you know, with some small funding. This isn't a lot of funding, but mm-hmm. small supplemental funding um, and real-world experience plus, you know, setting curriculum um, collaboratively with the educators, if that can make a change. Can I say that? Yes, please, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying there are other examples of this in Mm -hmm. places where um, there's um, an initiative called Education and for Employment, which is bringing companies together around these issues in the Middle East. There's a new initiative just recently launched called the Global Apprenticeship Network, which is trying to um, galvanize the energy of companies in terms of how they offer um, apprenticeships in their organizations to students. I think the the real um, opportunity is, as described, in collaborating and not going alone, not looking at your own company and thinking through what skills do do I need in this company, but what skills Mm -hmm. do we need as a collective Mm -hmm. and where can we really prioritize and bring those skills in. And I think the other opportunity is, you know, traditionally companies have come in at the end of the education chain when, as, as, you know, as we've heard, it's kind of a conveyor belt and they come out at the end. But what are the opportunities not only to collaborate um, with private sector and think through what are the skills we need as a, as a collective group, but also what are the opportunities to collaborate with governments mm-hmm. and with educators and think through how do we reach back in at the secondary level and even further down the chain to make sure that the students that are being produced in this chain are coming up with the right skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's an, an, a really crucial point, and it's going to change the way that education is delivered. Yeah, and Thank you. to that and Go ahead. that point, sorry, Bonnie, but just to, just to no, follow please. up on that, I, yeah. it, 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 it's right. I mean, right now we're coming in, and even if you look at the, the example in New York City, it's powerful, but there still mm-hmm. is a specialized school right now that is being created for computer science. There still is a specialized school that's being created for advertising. There still is a specialized school that is, you know, really focused, again, on IT the power is when we can bring this together and we can fundamentally change, um, you know, the way that, again, the school, you know, the, the school system is operating versus individual schools and individual opportunities for young people. All great points. I want to thank the panel and I, I want to make a comment here. I was going to ask you how early in the educational chain, starting from very early on, do companies need to make an impact? Because we, we know students, I, I think, uh, Brittany, you might have mentioned 30% of students in New York are not ready for college or ready for jobs when they come out of high school. High school is way too mm-hmm. late. Something has to happen earlier. And, and I am on Long Island. I'm a product of the New York City schools, by the way. And Brittany, you note here, you sent me the note, said SAP has partnered with a school to create a school in Queens, New York. I'm five minutes from the Nassau-Queens border, and I want to know where that school is. And the school will feature a computer science and business technology theme where students will gain expertise in cloud, in-memory, mobile and analytics technologies, and learn to use this to design IT solutions that anticipate people's needs. We're talking today about anticipating our culture's needs, the world's needs, and business's needs. So this sounds like it's absolutely perfect, but uh, it sounds to me like we need to make an impact much earlier. 
earlier in the educational conveyor belt, if you will. So let's let's turn this around. Uh, we have, let's see, it's 11.36 New York time. We're going to go another 12 minutes before we take a break. And I know you'll all be ready because I'm putting you through your paces here, ladies. But my question is, what advice can we give to the companies that are listening? And by the way, we have audience in over 90 countries around the world who would like to get some takeaway points from the three of you who share great expertise. And thank you for sharing that with us. So let's go back to Kate, uh, Kate Talent at FSG. And Kate, what would you tell a business, any size business, or if you want to focus on a startup mm-hmm. or a, a low end of the SME, small to mid-size enterprise, what should they be thinking about as they listen to you and Amanda and Brittany? What should they be saying if, if somebody at a mid-level manager is listening to the show and says, this is great stuff. We need to be part of this shift, this movement. What can we do? What would their next step be? Do they go right to the C-suite, knock on the door and say, hey, listen up. we got to do shared value in education. Do they start a, a club in the company that studies this? Where do they go? Kate, I'll start with mm-hmm. you, then Amanda, then Brittany. Let's give some real takeaways to our audience before we go to break. And now it's 11 minutes. So, Kate, why don't you kick this off? Well, I think, you know, there are two real fundamental ways that companies can create shared value in education. And one of them applies very broadly to, you know, all companies across sectors, across industries around the world, and that is around um, building a workforce for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in particular, I think this obviously applies more at, to the companies that are facing really um, critical skills gaps, and that's either for employees or for their customers or for their suppliers. So I would encourage companies to think very broadly about their supply chain and what they're going to need to grow. Um, And that's, you know, so that's one. And I think the second is um, more along the lines of what Amanda is talking about and what Pearson is doing, which is that education and technology companies have additional opportunities to create shared value in education by Mm -hmm. thinking about their products and services as opportunities to change the entire pipeline of education and, and create a, a, a more quality education for students at every level. Um, and that, I think, is where we start to see the real business opportunities um, in early education and to start doing this work early on, which, as you said, is so important. Okay. Amanda, what do you think? How can companies get involved and do it the right way? Where are those frameworks they're supposed to look for or create? Whose responsibility is it inside of any size company today to take this charge and lead it? Do we have Amanda Gardner? Yes, I would argue that it was everyone's responsibility. And I would kind of go back to what Pearson has been doing just recently. We've, you know, we have a mission to improve people's lives through learning, and we need a measure to be able to make sure that we are doing that, if we're saying that we're doing that. So we've just recently made a commitment to ensuring that in five years from now, we will be able to, in a rigorous and externally auditable way, report on the progress that we have made in improving learner outcomes through the delivery of our products and services. Um, And that's a tough thing to do because it's very difficult to measure learning. It's easier to measure, you know, whether somebody shows up in a classroom, but whether they're learning the skills they need to succeed in life is a bit more of a challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. So we are doing this um, by making sure that every product and service team in Pearson is doing something that we're calling an efficacy review, looking at what, are the, what is the 
potential for this product or service to improve learner outcomes? How is it that we're going to measure that? Where is it that we want to get to? Um, we're making sure that every part of our organization has someone senior in place with a specific brief for improving efficacy of our products and services. Um, we're making sure that um, improving learner outcomes is a central pillar of our HR policies and that those policies include incentive mechanisms for our leaders for um, improving learning outcomes. Um, and we're helping to kind of develop thinking around this externally. We want to work with others and thinking through how we can best do this. How can we put in place indicators and mechanisms for ensuring that our products are having this impact? We want to um, have a dialogue with others about what the best ways of doing that. Okay, thank you, Amanda. And Brittany, I know you have a bunch of case studies, examples. <laughs> I have some notes here on the Esperin SAP, if I'm pronouncing it right, Institute. You can talk about uh, demand for IT skills in the South Africa market. You've already shared with us about the New York City Department of Education. Let's talk about a couple of these examples, Brittany. I know people would love to hear this. Well, and if I could for a second, I mean, until yesterday, I was head of CSR here at SAP, and, and my, you know, announcement officially went out yesterday on my new role. But I was asked Congrats. this question a lot, right, on in my in my old role, on you know, what are the trends in CSR? What are the trends in sustainability? And you know, for a company that is just starting out and just thinking about this, you know, a company like SAP was there, and in fact, we weren't there that long ago. Um, and I, I see kind of four to five trends um, in in this space for for mm -hmm. those companies that are just starting out. So if I could, Bonnie, I'd love to share to share Please, that. Please, yes, go ahead. Um, you know, so we've talked a lot about check writing, and I would say whatever you do, extend it beyond just pure philanthropy. Ensure that this is aligned to your core business, whatever that is, whatever your CSR um, you know focuses. Make sure that there's a business priority to this work. Um, you know, again, for SAP, that would be around, you know, skilled workforce of the future. Um, when you're looking at introduction of volunteer initiatives, have a skills-based offering that's, you know, supporting not only your people strategy, but also the needs in the, the environment in which you're working. There is always a great need, of course, for... Um, you know, basic traditional volunteering and, you know, new statistics have just come out, you know, in the United States, you know, on, on, on those numbers, which, you know, are certainly rebounding. But mm -hmm. at the same time, every company has something very special to offer. That's their people, and they all have a unique skill. And then always think through, um, you know, outcomes-based measurements. You know, like, let's not just, you know, look at the outputs of, you know, we had X number of volunteers, and we gave X number of dollars. Take it to the next level. Um, Kate knows so well, as I'm sure Amanda does too, you know, this is something companies are always struggling with, but look at what your outcome target is and work toward that. And then, you know, kind of a fifth, a fifth um, trend here, don't go it alone. You know, any time we can work collaboratively and collectively, you know, not only do our companies benefit, but society and the constituents we're serving are going to benefit so much more. So, you know, again, you know, to, to go back to that DOE example in New York, um, any time we can work together, we have a, a stronger collective impact than just going it alone. Okay. Just to build on that, um, yes. before we go to the next question, Sure. Uh, you know, you did ask, how do companies get started? Mm -hmm. And I think Brittany's comments were really helpful. Um, and kind of built into what she was saying is, um, 
is companies are trying to figure out what to do in education. And there is an opportunity for, for every company because it matters. Um, it, it matters for all of them to eventually have a skilled workforce, right? Um, mm-hmm. But if they're thinking about how to do this in a way that makes sense for them, I would say the first step is really being very rigorous and thinking about what their core business strategy is, what the constraints to their growth will be in the next decade, mm-hmm. and thinking about how those constraints and how those opportunities from a business perspective um, overlay with social problems that are out there. And that lens will push either CSR leaders or um, or leaders within business units or CEOs to think about these social issues as opportunities for the business. And it's that shift, I think, that we're seeing happen more and more. And it's that shift that I think can really create bigger impact. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good, good, good. Brittany, did you tell me about the Esperanzap Institute yet? Esperanzap is, of course, the initiative we have in Brazil. It was, as I mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit earlier on the call, it was started um, again, to address a really critical need in our market. Um, Brazil is a strong growth market for SAP, and we were finding that in order to you know, really achieve the significant growth targets we had, we unfortunately had a, 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 a pretty big gap um, in the number of trained consultants who could implement the software in the Brazilian market. So you know, we went back to our user group. We had conversations with, with the user group, with the government of Brazil, as well as you know, some players in, in the country and said, hey, we want to provide, you know, we really want to collectively look at how we can offer certification, not only to, you know, top, top students coming out of the best universities in Brazil, but also individuals who, you know, are coming from the favela who are also potentially, you know, have unemployment, you know, where there's high unemployment and potentially very dire situations. We've helped to train those young people. We've helped to provide them SAP certification. And I think most importantly, we've helped with job placement, not only with our company, but other companies, um, you know, across, across the Brazilian market. So it's been a, it's been a win-win-win for all. Very, very impressive. I'm looking at your notes here. I'm impressed that they have created 42 academies equipped with software for training, highly qualified instructors. This sounds to me like the heart and soul of, of SAP and the, the ASUG, the user group, mm-hmm. are behind this, Brittany. It's right. not just, oh, right. well, we'll set up a classroom somewhere, and if anybody wanders in. 42 academies, 1,000 participants, 70% of graduates have found a placement with gainful employment in the SAP ecosystem. This is impactful. Wouldn't you agree, Kate Talent? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and this is it's, what we're um, looking for. Yeah, it, no, exactly. It's a perfect example, and I think it's one that we're seeing um, only in a couple places. We could okay. always do more, and we're looking, we to, can always we're do looking more. to replicate, absolutely. Well, ladies, I'm going to give you all a break of just about a minute and a half, so don't go too far away. When we come back, I'm going to ask each of you, first Kate Talent at FSG, then Amanda Gardner at Pearson, and Brittany Lothi at SAP. I'm going to ask you each of you to look ahead five years. If we had this radio show, again, the same exact topic, five years from today, that would be, let's see, we're live today is 24, 26th of February 2014. Fast forward to 2019. 
What would you be saying about what has happened in the intervening five years? Will shared education, shared design, shared value be a thing that every company is participating in? Will we have solved the global education crisis, or will we still have a long way to go? I'm going to give you a minute and a half to think about it and come back to me with your predictions. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, having a very interesting time talking with the ladies I just mentioned. We'll be right back after the break. You don't want to miss their predictions. Brad, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. We're back, and it's time for the Crystal Ball segment of the show. I'm going to go back in the original order and first ask Kate Talent at FSG, who has shared so much good information with us today. Kate, if we met again five years from today in 2019, what would you be saying, what do you predict you'd be saying about businesses' role in shared value in education? Talk to me. Well, five years is is not too long from now. Um, but I think, you know, in the past five years, we've seen a lot of progress being made. So I would predict in five years from now that companies all over the world will be thinking about engaging with society from the lens of shared value. Um, I think just in the past two years, we've seen just a tremendous amount of momentum around the idea. Um, and, it, it, you know, I think five years from now, we will see more and more companies talking about this, understanding what it means, and really putting education at the core of their business strategy, um, either by connecting education to employment or by creating products and services that really are leading to measurable improvements in education outcomes. Um, you know, outcomes take a long time to measure, particularly within education. Mm-hmm. So I predict that in five years from now, we'll be starting to figure out what some of the real challenges have been from the way that we've started to measure them now, and we'll be thinking about new solutions to those challenges. And my hope is that, um, you know, above and beyond this, that companies will be starting to evolve from a focus on their individual programs and individual ability to create shared value to a more coordinated approach in which they're working together with other companies um, in kind of pre-competitive partnerships 
where they're looking within their industry to see who else is working in, in on on similar issues, um, as well as with governments and schools and nonprofits, and thinking about in these places where um, where educational outcomes are are critical to their growth, um, that these companies are working together to align their programs on goals that they agree upon together and that they're being held accountable for their results. Thank you, Kate. And I have a quick bonus question for you, which the other ladies can address when I bring them on for their <laughs> predictions. Question is, will we have enough data in five years, fast forward to 2019, so a company can say to their shareholders, and that was one of the premises we, we opened the show with, say to their shareholders, this is a good way for us to go. This is a good place for us to be not only committing funds, if it's appropriate, but energy and programs and talent to mm-hmm. sharing edu- the value of education. Will there be enough data for a company to say to their shareholders, Shareholders simply, we're on board the shared education bandwagon, and we can justify it. Yes or no, Kate? Some, yes. It depends okay. on how companies. It, it does depend on how um, aggressively companies start to take this approach. I think, and how aggressively companies are about really measuring the results. So, if they start doing that now, um, and I'd love to hear Amanda's thoughts on this because Pearson is doing exactly this. Um, yes. You know, is it? I, I think in those cases, yes, there will be early results. And then, you know, the, it, as we know, there's going to be another five years of data that we're going to need to see to really see the long-term effects within education. Thank you. Amanda Gardner, speaking of you, you're up. Predictions, go. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm hoping that we're going to have a new post-2015 development framework in place that really emphasizes learning and the importance of learning in education alongside access to education. Um, so that's number one. I think broadly we're going to have a better understanding amongst all actors of how companies can do this shared value stuff, how they engage in supporting um, education and supporting broader social impact beyond the check writing that we've talked about, and that we'll have clearer mechanisms inside the international community for businesses to engage and have dialogue. Um, I think my hope is that in five years we will have more companies that take an integrated approach to thinking through these issues in their in their companies. I think too often this is still managed, this kind of stuff is still managed through um, a communications department, a CSR department. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it's called, but it's siloed. And the fact is that it needs to be integrated with all units of the business. Um, and I think finally what we can definitely expect, at least from Pearson and I hope from the broader business community, is that more companies will be measuring their impact in this space. And I think that if they do that, um, and if we can really start some more momentum, and I think that has already started for companies to do that, we will get to a place where the data can prove um, that this is having a real impact and on change. Thank you so much, Amanda. Brittany Lothi, you're up. Predictions, go. I'll make it really quick. Um, I think no, you know you have you have a minute and a half. Take your time; it's good. I've right, got right. well, two minutes. I'm going to give you. If we went on my quote of planning like a pessimist, looking at this realistically, and hoping for the best, um, I would say you see a, a good trend of industry-wide partnerships. You know, again, a lot of collective work and collaboration across the sector. Um, with some early results. As Kate indicated, measurement is a tough nut to crack, and especially in education, um, you need um, many, many years to identify the long-term impact of of programs um, in in this space. So I think you'd see some early results, 
but companies would be in a position if they're taking it seriously and investing appropriately um, to show the shareholder value that has been created um, as a part of as a part of these investments. Brittany, do you think that startups coming right out of the gate will see the value in doing this right from the get-go and say we have to make participation in the education process part of our mantra, part of our the fabric of who we're going to grow to become? What do you think in five years? Forty years ago, SAP was a small, small business in, in Waldorf, Germany, right? Um, mm-hmm. Our founders had a forward-thinking view on, you know, at the time, philanthropy and investment in in society. Many of the startups who are coming today also have that forward-thinking view, so they'll start somewhere, um, and they'll get there um, as their companies grow. Thank you very much. It's time for me to give my predictions. I wrote them down, so they're easy. Tomorrow, Startup Focus with Game Changers, every Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 Eastern. And our topic tomorrow is Startups Impact in the Healthcare Industry. We're going to be talking about mobile healthcare and analysis, analytics, and what's happening in terms of patient records and healthcare across the whole spectrum. Biz Buzz with Game Changer next Tuesday, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern, March 4th. We're going to be talking about innovation versus operation. What are your CEO's priorities or where are they? Next week, Coffee Break with Game Changers right here Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. We're going to be talking about project team success tips. You don't want to miss that because that goes across every one of our topics. And guess what? Next Thursday, we are debuting our brand new series called The Future of Business with Game Changers. Yes, we're adding another series. It'll be Thursday at Uh, Let's see. It's going to be Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Whoa, early, 7 a.m. Pacific. Well, that's the way it goes. And the first topic out of the gate will be the future of the customer experience. I want to thank my esteemed guest today. Thank you, Kate Talent at FSG. Thank you, Amanda Gardner at Pearson. Thank you, of course, to Brittany Lothi at SAP. We did it. We got you on the show. (laughs) And shout-outs to Malcolm Kimberlin. Great tweets. Thank you, Malcolm. And Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And, of course, I have a call to action for all of you. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow on Startup Focus with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.